0: Coming up on this episode of Open for Business. Inbound marketing again, this time the good side. Fracking is good for energy independence, but what about the beer? Some basics for going online with your business? Losing customers? Yes. Understanding why? Also yes. All that and more on this episode 67 of Open for Business. This is the Hartford Online Radio Network. 21st Century Audio. Delivered. On thehorn.com.
1: Open for Business is uh, proudly sponsored by Amazon S3 servers. Our bandwidth for all the crazy people listening out there. Provided by Amazon S3 servers, it's storage over the Internet. Retrieve any amount of data at any time from anywhere on the web. Highly scalable, reliable, secure, fast, and inexpensive. All from a name you trust, it's Amazon. For more information about Amazon S3 storage, visit aws.amazon.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Parker. Joined tonight... By Tommy Russo, Zen Master over at LNR Productions. Hello, Tommy.
0: Hey, Brian. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for
1: asking. We weren't here last week because there was a large snowstorm, and then they were plowing the roads, and um, Ken actually got to the studio. I know. But I left at like 3.20 to get here by, well, I was wanted to get here by 4, which is plenty of time. It was like... It was 6 o'clock, yeah,
2: I mean, plus when you were turning around, go home.
1: Go home. And then I didn't get home until like 8.30. Yeah, I was going to say,
2: I got your text uh, after 8.
1: Oh, it was forever. Anyway, that other voice is Ken Cook, acclaimed author, Fortune 500 consultant, and contributor to Inc. Magazine, now running peer to peer peeradvisorscom Hello, Ken. Good evening, Brian. Tom, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Ken. How about you? Good. Good. We have uh, an exciting show, all sorts of fun topics, inbound marketing. We're talking about what's the difference between inbound versus outbound. Plus, we also have a special guest. Steve Hall is calling in from HubSpot. He's been there for a whopping three weeks. We get all the really, you know, storied writers from HubSpot on.
0: And tenured, too.
1: <laughs> and tenured. It's it's terrific. But, uh, but he's been around. You can visit his website, AdRants, like advertising, AdRants.com. He's been running that for over 10 years. Steve, how are you, sir?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks
1: very much, guys. Thanks for joining us. This is exciting. I love the idea of um, of inbound marketing hmm. because I think it's, uh, I think the out, outbound marketing makes people lazy, makes business owners lazy, and inbound means that you got to get off your tail and you got to produce something. For, Content. Yeah. Yes. For, for consumption, and I think that's great, but why don't you uh, get us started with that, uh, Kenny?
2: Well... Both Tom and I are avid readers and followers of the HubSpot blog. And I think it was emails passing in the night as we sent this blog post that Steve put together to each other with the message, this is a good one, let's focus on this one for the show. That's right. And Steve wrote it, posted it uh, Friday, 8th of February, titled, How Inbound Marketing Aligns with the New Purchase Loop. And with deference to the Opera Aida, he gave us a very nice graphic on the opening page about the new purchase loop that's going on. So, Steve, what I would love for you to do is take us and the audience through a short overview on what this is all about, and then let's get into a conversation if we can.
3: Sure. Um, Well, the uh, purchase funnel has been around since 19, excuse me, 1898, and it has been the uh, primary mentality that marketers follow when they're trying to acquire customers. And a guy named Elias St. Elmo Lewis developed it in 1898. Uh, there's four steps to it. Uh, first is awareness, then comes interest, then comes desire, and then comes action you know, very, very, very understandable. At first, you want to make someone aware of the product. You want to do something to get them interested in it. And by doing so, you create desire. And ideally, that desire uh, ends up with an action. And for over 100 years, pretty much, that is how marketers have uh, framed their marketing. But recently, there was a study done by Latitude, which found that 87% of customers travel a different path, a less linear path, and a more complex path to a final purchase. And it's not really a funnel anymore. It's actually a loop, and it has six stages. And they are openness, um, which consists of a consumer being receptive to new and different ideas. These are really behavioral and mental states as opposed more, more uh, uh, as compared to actions uh, that came with the purchase funnel. So you begin with openness and you progress to a realized want or need. There begins to be a hint of what the person is looking for because they have that want or need. They then progress to learning and education. They're trying to find out more about the product to move from initial interest to a sort of a research mentality. And then to support the research that they've found, they seek ideas and inspiration from friends um, and that progresses further to, okay, I, I now want this thing, I'm going to research it, I'm going to make sure that my need and my desire is supported by facts and figures that I now go and research for and then the sixth stage is sort of a post-purchase evaluation you know like anything when someone buys something you know if you buy a car suddenly the car you bought everybody has it you see it all (laughs) over the highway that happens to me all the time (laughs) yeah as soon as you buy something it's like oh that person has the phone i just got that person has the phone i just got you know it's like it's as if suddenly that's the only product that exists so you know part of that is 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 the post purchase mentality. But the important thing here is that it's not a linear path. People can come into this process at any stage of the game. You know, uh they could very quickly progress into the research and the vetting stage of things because you know, they may have had a conversation with a person who is having a, a you know a debate over whether I'm going to get um an iPhone, or whether I'm going to get a Windows phone, whether I'm going to get an Android phone, um, and they may go right into the research stage of things. Um, but that is generally an overview uh, of what that process is. You know, I'm sure we'll speak further about how inbound inbound marketing plays into that, and how various media uh, uh, play into how people can can become affected in these six stages.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I am looking at this, and as I'm reading uh, the article that you wrote, which was great, by the way. um, Thanks. I'm thinking of my relationship to, um, I buy a lot of technology. And I don't know, you know, I don't consider myself someone that knows a lot about technology, but I want it all.
3: And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I have
1: this relationship with Apple Inc., Right. We've we've heard of them. So so we're so I'm aware of them, And I'm you know, I'm going through that linear path like, well, certainly, obviously, I know about it. I mean, it's you know, it's an awareness. So they advertise. And do I have an interest in it? Yes. I mean, they're they're you know, they make things that are very useful. So I'm thinking of it from that point. And then I'm also thinking about my desire. All right. Why do I desire this? Well, they're beautiful devices. And then I open up my wallet and spend eight hundred dollars for a phone. But I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, is that really how I purchased my Apple products? I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I think now is that I have I trust Apple so much that I take it at face value that their product will work well and is going to be uh, going to be a good experience.
2: You jump right to mental state number six. Yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> your I, post-purchase evaluation of, God, I'm so smart, I bought another Apple product.
1: You know what? And, and I totally agree. The only thing that I that I do is that I do seek out other people that have purchased the item or are thinking about purchasing it. Uh, like-minded people like me. Mm-hmm. We have a very good friend of the show, uh, Lon, who's a huge techie guy. He runs cttechjunkie.com. Uh, and... I do call him I, I, and just say, what do you think about this? Um, I am, I could be in the store already ready to make the purchase, but I will still make the call just before I pull the trigger. And I remember doing this with the Chromebooks. Um, Google came out with these little, I guess you call them laptops, um, but you can't do anything with them other than anything that's in the, the Google universe.
2: Did you buy one of them? I didn't. Okay.
1: And so, I,
0: And I was going to 'cause
1: they'
2: like we two, were gonna, gonna send you to do a ten step program at two two three hundred
0: dollars, <laughs> right, <laughs> but you're somewhere between four, five, and six in that behavioral mental state, seeking ideas, inspiration, research, yeah. and vetting, and if you will, the post purchase evaluation and expansion. That's what it sounds like, Brian,
1: I mean, I think, yeah, I mean Apple has already like. They keep giving me ideas to do, like things like, oh, I didn't know I could, uh, boy, this this uh, iMovie suite's very, very good. I don't need Final Cut for, you know, the quick and dirty stuff. This is great.
2: Hey, Steve, I got a question for you. Sure. I was looking through the six states, the behavioral and mental states involved in the purchase loop, mm-hmm. and after hearing your explora- explanation, I understand now what number four, seeking ideas, this is like. Calling your neighbor, calling your friend, calling your family member and saying, what did you do? It's like Brian calling Lon, and validating that he should do this. Right. Number five, though, that, to me, is a more recent manifestation due to the web and all of the information available at everyone's fingertips. Am I wrong on that?
3: No, no, you are absolutely right, and I'm glad you brought that up because... You know, this is what we have now. We have at our disposal an endless uh, amount of information, um, a plethora, if you will, of of data that we can now research. I mean, you know, before 1984, 1990, before the Internet, I mean, what did we have? We had, you know, old school mainstream media that talked at us. Yep. You know, we could certainly read articles and magazines, we can certainly make phone calls. There was always word of mouth. You know, there was always a way to do some sort of research and vetting. But now it is so much e- easier not only to access, but because there's so much of it out there. Yeah. That we can in, in five or ten minutes become very smart. On a topic of
2: our choosing, we can become as smart as the salesperson trying to sell it to us you know Steve, sure. yeah.
0: yep. Steve earlier on, you referenced the auto industry and in my firm i 'm in an advertising agency as well, production company we 've done an enormous amount of work in the car industry over the years, working with local and regional dealerships, and to see that arc of of knowledge curve over the past fifteen twenty years, and what I mean by that is exactly what Ken. the point you brought up is what absolutely occurs with every single dealership they have clients walking in now that have done that number five research and vetting online and they walk in and i've had dealers owners of dealerships say to me Some of these clients know more about the cars than my salespeople. I believe that. And it's intimidating for them to be able to to do just that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they have relegated to kind of order takers now. But I I think it's really good to do the research and vetting part as sort of, I think to me, that's where inbound marketing, like the rubber meets the road. It's
2: it's opportunity to shine. I mean, when I look at inbound marketing and think about it, and, and Steve, you're the expert on it, so please chime in edit me wherever is appropriate but when i think about inbound marketing to me it is if someone is buying something there is a risk factor and an anxiety associated with the purchase and inbound marketing is an ability to demonstrate expertise in order to alleviate anxiety
3: yeah i agree yeah yeah. that that's a good way of putting it because a key component of in inbound marketing is content creation and the content that is valuable content that is worth that that is that is educational and content that a person who's considering a purchase wants to seek out and would normally seek out in any purchase process i mean there's i mean if you want to buy something you're going to do some research so it behooves the brand who's trying to sell something to put out as much information as they possibly can on the topic I mean you can start with general categories it's like well we don't really need articles about why do you need a car I mean but you know I mean in some product categories you do need that sort of thing um but you know the the the, the content can start at a, at a broader level and then it can get very more specific like you know uh, what kind of radio is in the car you know or what kind of door locks or child right. prevention um features does the uh, does the car have um but it is for the most part all about content it starts with content just well,
1: for the listeners way? what i want to do is just back up just a just a hair and identify inbound versus outbound um marketing so the the outbound marketing is what i consider traditional advertising and marketing buying a list of uh Phone numbers in a certain geographic area or demographic, making cold calls, doing trade shows, um, traditional advertising like radio, TV, newspaper, highway of billboard ads—all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff—is you have a message, and you're and you're looking for an access. You're looking for access to an audience that someone else has created, and so you're saying. I want to give this message to your audience over here that, that you have created I need access to that what can I give you for that and they say please give me money and I then you say okay and here it is and then your message gets heard by by their audience inbound kind of turns that on its head you start the business owner starts to create content whatever it is blogs are very easy but it could be anything it could just be a you know a picture book or, or something like that um, and you throw the content out there on the web using social media to help promote it as your sort of sales force and then you start to build that community and now we have something that's very uh, organic and very strong in its foundation because now people are seeking you out as opposed to they're listening to the TV or the or the radio and they just happen to hear your your commercial You know, you're a by the way. Now people are seeking you out, which is really, I I think that's the beauty of the inbound marketing approach. Uh, There's a a guy also at HubSpot, um, Brian Halligan. Do you know him? Well, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yes. I don't know why you laughed. He wrote a great article about inbound uh, versus. uh,
2: Brian's the founder and president.
1: Okay, there you go. (laughs) So he wrote, this is great. Uh, I believe most marketers today spend 90% of their time on outbound marketing and 10% on inbound. He thinks it should be flip flopped, and I agree with him. I, I think the the traditional avenues should be just to pepper what you're already doing online. You know, you know, yeah. if you spend two days a week marketing, you know, a day and a half should be writing your blogs and and whatever.
2: And well, inbound marketing is very much about content, but that's not the only thing it is there's search engine optimization
1: yeah there's seo for sure yep yep there, there are
3: there's there's lead nurturing i mean there's there's a, there's a lot of steps to it marketing automation yep um the the the, the important thing is that well Up until several years ago, we never had this form of marketing. We didn't have the ability to do this kind of marketing. This kind of marketing really didn't exist before the internet. And and so a lot of people perceive it as foreign and difficult. And anytime someone doesn't understand something, they immediately conclude that it's hard, (laughs) that it's not going to be easy. I mean, we've been creating television commercials and radio commercials and print ads forever, and it's like, oh, that's easy. I mean, just call the radio station, tell them you want it to air at 8 p.m. at night, and you know, it's fine. Produce it, call, you know, it's easy. It's easy, you know. But you know, but what is it really getting you? I mean, and that's the point of inbound marketing—that for everything that you do, you are able to track what you get, how many people saw the article. How many people responded to your call to action? How many people requested a webinar? How many people downloaded a white paper? How many people purchased the product? I mean, you know all these things. I mean, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, you do know this: a large marketer does have aggregate statistics on how many people bought Coke in the month of February. But, you know… for other marketers, for people, for example, let's just talk about the Super Bowl for a minute, spending $3.8 million on yeah. the Super Bowl. Nuts. Um, there was an article on the HubSpot blog after last year's Super Bowl that talked about the 31 things you could do for, you know, $3 million or whatever it was costing last year. And you'd be amazed at some of the things that could be done. I mean, um, now, of course, sometimes Super Bowl spots do work. you'll hear GoDaddy claim that they signed up. I'd forget the stats I even wrote about it but the biggest increases they've ever had in domain registrations um, that's not to say outbound marketing doesn't work. But inbound marketing is far more efficient and far more regimented well, and what far I, more effective?
2: What I absolutely love about inbound marketing is that it provides an answer to the age-old question. What am I gonna get for my dollar? Because well,
3: or John Wanamaker, who used to say, "Gee, I know fifty percent of my advertising is working. I just don't, don't know, know which fifty percent is working." Exactly. You know, the, R- uh, the you ROI know, I
2: calculation on this stuff is phenomenal.
3: Right. Right. Oh, and you know, companies such as HubSpot make it easy for that. do with an all-in-one software solution that takes you directly through the process
2: now do you guys design websites as well no okay
3: no but they're you know we're full of advice about what's how to approach the development of a landing page and a blog and those we've got all kinds of experts that can help with that sort of thing but
2: we don't actually you know we create our own let me me circle back on one thing if i can (laughs) You do that. I'm thinking, yeah,
1: maybe maybe Steve should take a look at our website. (laughs) It keeps getting bigger and bigger, and I'm like, I don't know where to put all this stuff. Who's first on the
2: list? Oh, God. (laughs) But let's go back to the car dealer for a minute. If the buyer knows as much about the car they're going to buy as, if not more than the salesperson, why doesn't every dealer in the nation design an inbound marketing program that is predicated on disseminating that information either by request online or in a pre-package for the appointment when they come into the dealership. If if I call up a dealer and say I'm interested in buying a Volvo and I want an S60 and I want Bluetooth connection and a moonroof and all-wheel drive, da 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 da, and I'll be able to stop in 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. By the time I arrive at 2 o'clock on Saturday, they should be able to provide me that entire package, all costs, every piece of information I could get on the web, and they should reference where they got it. To, to me, that makes sense for a dealer in today's day and age.
1: Yeah, I, and I agree. I told this story a little while ago where I was looking at the Ford Fusion. Yeah. I was going to go by. You know, I don't need a new car, but, of course, I'm drawn to technology. Ford Fusion, very exciting uh, technology-wise car. So I fill out the little thing. I, I take, you know, 15 minutes or so to poke around and build my ideal Ford Fusion on the Internet, and then it, you know, relates to a dealership that's close by me, and it sends them a little message, and I say, okay, that's fine. Give me a call between these hours. The guy calls me. Knows nothing about the Ford exactly. Fusion that I just bought or that I just you. built. I'm Thank like, you. Are you kidding me?
2: What was I just doing?
3: Yeah. And yeah. So I. Well, you sadly, know, that is the problem. And it,
2: that was the same experience we had buying Candace's Bobo last year. But like, why? It was.
3: Nuts. Why go through the effort
1: of built? Like they put a lot of effort into making me able to build a car online. Yeah. Like that's a lot of effort, and it's like from, I don't like it's an email to the guy. I like know. he's getting a, an alert, why not just put the information in the alert? Like it's not even a technology issue. I know
2: to get it like I don't get why wouldn't you just share that with All him right, I don't Steve, it. the inbound marketing expert. What the hell is wrong out there? What's wrong?
3: <laughs> well, it's what's wrong with a lot of everything in this world, communication and organization, and you know you have. I think, you know, you don't have to be a marketer to understand that the car manufacturers and the car dealers are almost working at cross purposes. I mean, you know, uh, the cars put out these wonderful feel-good ads that just make you want to envision spending the rest of your life driving down a winding mountain road with the top down, and then you go to try to buy that thing, and yeah. you've got some schlub who walks out you know, with dressed in fashions from 20 years ago of being absolutely <laughs> stereotypical here, of course, you know. And, you know, it's sort of, what can I do to make you sign on the dotted line today? You know, I mean... Yes, they want sales, but all they care about is what their commission's going to be. They don't really care what your thoughts on the car are. In fact, they, because they aren't buying the car you're interested in, probably haven't done as much research as you have done because yeah. the buyer has a vested interest, in this, which is finding the perfect car.
2: Yeah, might The say- vested
3: interest for the car dealer is to sell whatever they can to whoever they can, no matter what, without regard necessarily to the needs and the wants of the person. Now, I mean, that's really just commentary on the fact that dealerships and car manufacturers don't and have never really worked together as closely as they possibly can. You know, in in a perfect world, yes, inbound marketing would and probably could be the perfect solution for the car buying experience. I mean, it's really inexcusable that car dealers don't take it upon themselves to avail themselves of all the information that the car manufacturers are putting out there like the design your own car the build your own vehicle kind of a thing yeah. and to, to to walk into a dealership and have some dealer uh, uh salesman just go i don't know what you're talking about
2: is absolutely inexcusable <laughs> brian didn't yeah, that's the one you met right yeah. <laughs> that's the one yeah no
1: and he has my cell phone number now which is like even more oh, like that's, that's the slap in the that's face <laughs> so oh yes I, I gave away my cell phone number
2: well, Steve, this has been great. <laughs> I, I thank you for putting this blog post together because it really tied a lot of things together in my head. Well, I, hope well,
3: I urge everyone to read it because uh, I'll tell everybody, I write far better than I speak. So <laughs> it's, right. all, yeah. it's all in the blog post.
2: <laughs> well, it—you'll everybody, you'll find it at HubSpot.com. He posted it at the 8th of February at 1 p.m. Steve Hall.
1: Thank you, Steve. Thanks so much, Steve. And, hey, yeah, everybody, we'll have a link up to that uh, when we do the uh, post-show notes, and and please uh, be sure to read it. Steve, that was great. Thank you very much. We hope we can have you on
3: again. I would love to be back. Thanks for having me. All All right, right, there he is, Steve
1: Hall from HubSpot. .com. Great guy. Um, really, really interesting stuff. HubSpot is one of those great... Do you guys actually... I have actually never signed into HubSpot, and I probably should. Shame on you. I know. This is one of those things like, I should probably join LinkedIn. Right, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm running an online business. Maybe I should join LinkedIn. What do you think?
0: Ken converted me, and I'm really glad he did. That's for sure. Mm. No,
1: it's really great. Um, neat stuff. All sorts of other stuff to get to here. Put the brakes on fracking... <laughs> it's hurting the beer production this this. one i had to read a few times because i'm like i'm not really sure what to make of this so um natural gas fracking is hurting this is from the philadelphia business journal yeah and it's hurting the breweries i couldn't quite tell why because it hurts the the water
2: that's it that like isn't that just called pollution in general so you shouldn't do it like But fracking is supposed to elevate the pollution to the nth degree. Frankly, I didn't care about the issue. I just love the fact that they tied beer to fracking. I just thought that was kind of interesting. (laughs) Okay,
0: geez, I'm more worried because I'm not a beer drinker. What about the pizza? Because it's all about the water. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's what
2: the dough's all about. Exactly.
0: So forget the beer. What about the pizza? You
2: know, Philly has some good pizza places. (laughs) They do. Actually, Philly has better pizza places than New York.
0: In some ways I have to agree. Um
1: yeah. I don't well yeah, yeah. New York is also the experience of just going in for a slice of the Coke. Well you, you, know? Know you can not do that in Philly.
2: No, yeah, no, you really can't do that in Philly. No, you can. Yeah. You can. You can where? What street? Oh, geez, I don't are remember the names of streets. Pick market, pick broad, pick chestnut, pick yeah, walnut. Those are always more like you, this you guy knows pick from.
1: You walk in and you have to sit down and stuff. I'm talking about like you you walk, walk up, up to the window two tables. Hey,
2: what are you, Tony Manero and Saturday <laughs> Night Live? Yeah, two. Yeah.
1: Give me two. Give me two. <laughs> give me two. I, uh, give my lady a Diet Coke over here, all right? We're going to walk. We're going to walk. You fold up the pizza. You walk around. Boy, I just brought
0: a pizza and look where we went on this one.
1: It's great. I love that. Hey, by the way, speaking of pizza, did you know that Frank Pepe's is in Mohegan Sun now? Yes, I didn't no, know that. No, I
0: didn't. And where else are they opening? Someplace else yeah, too. I think Someone told me. Is uh, it in Blueback Square? Yes,
1: it is. It is. It's, it's, okay. It's Blue- yep. I'd also heard that. Yep. There's some inside baseball that no one probably cares about but us. But um, <laughs> <laughs> basic lessons: if you're going to go online, here's an. I want to take a, a completely different reason of why we should talk about this article. But go ahead, tell me about Biz Journals. No, Lessons I, I, of online business. I want to hear your reason first. This is. <sighs> I should be nice. Go.
2: You don't have to be
1: nice. Okay. This is the dumbest article I have ever <laughs> read in my entire life. Like really, you should think about what. To, what. All right. So he, here's what it is. Let, let me read. Let me. Let me skim it for you. Okay. Oh, so lessons learned from launching an online business. Okay, lessons learned. So apparently this person learned some lessons. Company name. Selecting the company name might sound easy. Don't be fooled. You Your first and arguably most important step is to secure a domain name. Maybe not. Maybe a mission statement might be the most no. important thing. Maybe figuring out exactly who is going to be in your company, what resources
2: you need to dedicate. Nope. I disagree. If you put, if your business most is going impo- online, the most, a name. Thing, it, the most important thing
1: the most important I think that is absolutely false. No. We could have named this this station um blackmarker.com. That might have some other connotations, but it, it wouldn't matter. Oh it Coke, does matter. Coke. Pepsi. Like these are not names that like anyone had thought of other than they would just they they're made up words. Nike.
2: A totally made up word. Well, a little bit of mercury in there, but. But they were not launched as an online business. Okay.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. If, if you go to all that trouble and then the name that you're looking to have has already been scoffed up by someone else, that would make me unhappy.
2: Yeah. And, but and I don't think that's the most important thing. Well, I've been working on titles for the book that I just finished. Right. Very and, important step. Yeah. And I want the title to be the domain name. And sure. I've come up with some absolutely outstanding titles and I go to search on the domain name and it says premium name, $4,877 and he, it's
1: yours. Here's what you do. You do whatever name you want that you love yep, and then you just put the book after it. So if it's like... Brian Parker, the book. Brian Parker, the book. Dot com. Dot com. They do this in Hollywood, which like is a great that. example, right? The Avengers. The movie. Movie.com. That's good. You know what I'm saying?
2: Never thought of that. Thank you.
1: Okay. So I'm score one for Brian. One What's the next one? Um, open source or custom built. If you're gonna be an online like if you're doing like a real business, of course you want to custom build it. Are you crazy? Why?
2: Do you Have know you how much at WordPress these days?
1: Well, no. WordPress is not considered open source WordPress yes, is. is now considered custom built because you have lots and lots of templates that you can customize to the nth degree so that is that is more no, custom built
2: uh, all right then I'm misinterpreting their terminology because to me the custom built is hiring a designer in a web design firm to build something specifically but that's kind of what
1: you do but that's what you do with with WordPress anyway no WordPress, you just sort of, you
2: can start up a blog for free. And you can get a template for free, right? But you really and you, you can get anything. plugins for I'm, I'm free not, to little amount of money.
1: I'm on the. This is going to be a business, and we're going to have. We're not going to be Brian Parker the Book dot WordPress dot com. I'm 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 thinking we're actually going to build a a real website.
2: There are major companies that are based on the WordPress platform. CBS. Oh yeah, on the horn. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's real businesses. Yeah, that's real businesses. And it's WordPress. Cu- it's all custom built. You don't you don't
1: think CBS built, a, you know, doesn't have a designer in there custom building that website for them?
2: Well, they do to some extent, I'm sure. But it's the difference between 100% custom versus using a non- you can, de- you can design and get a site up on WordPress. Sure. To step number three, big vision, start small, make changes and updates. Yeah, that's fine. And it opens the door for cash flow. So if you want to start an online business, put a WordPress blog up, put the simplicity of the blog to work for you to generate revenue. Just plug in the e-commerce app, start to sell some stuff, generate some cash flow. Then you can bring in the designer and say, okay, make it prettier. Yeah. Make it more functional. Make it more adaptable. So, yeah, I think there's some legitimacy to these three steps here. I really do for an online business because it's all about cash flow.
1: Do custom build, hire someone, hire a professional, because you're not going to know. That's that's what I think. Unless you are a designer, well, I and think then you're going to custom build it anyway, so it doesn't matter.
0: I think you both have great but points. But CBS, I'm Sweden. CBS in is not oh, considered. It. No, Come but I, I really do. I think you both have good points. That you know, your point, Ken, is that it has to do with what kind of capital. Funding does this individual have, and how he or she can make maximize the dollars that they have available to get the business launched. And with if there are minimal dollars behind it, then your approach makes an enormous amount of sense to me. If it's dollars and cents that if dollars and cents are not the issue, then Brian's uh, approach makes more sense to me. So I think that there's out of, val-
2: out of startups that you've known. Right. What percent have the pockets to not worry about the expense? Very few. There you go. But this Very is few. lessons
1: learned from launching an online business. doesn't yeah. mean it's startup.
2: Well, no, it doesn't mean it's startup, but the majority of online businesses that are launched are startups.
1: And do you still hold the contention that cbs.com, a WordPress website, is open source?
2: No. Okay. No. No, they are highly customized on a WordPress platform. Right. You can get the platform. I and mean, the
1: platform, is that just makes it
2: but th- that doesn't change anything. My point is, if someone is raising alpacas, right, gets a whole bunch of wool, and decides I-, I want other than breeding, I want to make money off of the wool, so I'm going to start to knit alpaca sweaters and scarves. I don't have a lot of money because, frankly, my six alpacas don't give me a lot in the breeding rights, and we just we're recession. We don't have a lot in our pocket, so what we're going to do is put up a wordpress blog alpacas the new wool why it's warmer whatever the book, the book. yes <laughs> alpaca the book <laughs> alpaca the book take a couple pictures of the half dozen sweaters and scarves that you make put them up there charge 19.95 and start to make some money that's i mean people want to control things they want a meaningfulness of their own business and open source with wordpress and a good name, make sure you put the book after it. There you go. I think it's a quick and easy way for people to get an online business up and running.
1: The last thing they say is people, which I think is the most important thing. Identify the people yeah, uh, that you're going to be working with. Yeah, And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. As time goes on, people, I think, are less and less inclined to be Jim Collins fans like me. You know, first who, then what? I'm a big Jim Collins
2: guy. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Did I ever tell you the research on Collins and good to great? That all of the businesses, he studied in the original good to great, 18 pairs of companies. right? And compared the good ones versus the ones that weren't good and drew some extrapolation as to management practices that work from the good companies. Shortly after the study, every one of the companies, good and bad, regressed to the mean. They all became equal. Boy, oh boy.
1: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. You know, the big one was GE. So much of that was Jack Welsh. And I think the real message in there was if you really want to consider the business that you're building to be great, it's got to be great without you, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that really took a... The Collins a
0: expound nose. on why? It, Luck, predominantly. Really?
2: Yeah. Luck is much more impactful factor sure. now, it was Daniel Kahneman who uh, did the analysis he's an economist huh? and uh, he did the same thing with the companies that Tom Peters wrote about in search of excellence and shortly after that was published every one of those companies had a downturn and regressed back to the mean Wow! so luck is <laughs> really big really really big
1: A couple just going back and then we're going to move forward. Uh, Chat room says um, Squarespace is a good alternative. You know what's even easier. Squarespace.com. Actually, I don't think Squarespace is easy. I don't know if you guys have done it. I've I've tried three times, including last night, to open up a Squarespace blog. And, you know, I I run the the On The Horn site. I, I get blogging. I get it. I can't figure it out. It's freaking... I, I don't even know how to like... Like I think I'm uploading a picture for a blog post and then it becomes like the background image for the whole site and I'm like, what happened? Mm. Um, it could be easier than WordPress. Maybe just maybe my mind works like WordPress now. That, that's very interesting. Could I want to get to the last uh, article because this is really... This is at the core of what, what we talk about. I'm losing customers and I don't know why. Uh, who is this? This is... Oh sherry Hardley, yeah, um from bizjournals dot com she has um essentially eight questions to ask people, not like when they're leaving or right when they arrive, but just kind of in general um ask your clients or your customers, you know these eight questions, who else did you consider hiring for this gig that that identifies. Mm-hmm who your competition is, which is also very helpful. Why did you hire us instead? And I think this is important to do these questions, not all at once, you know, you're always going to be dripping these questions to your clients. So maybe, you know, once a month, if you meet or every other month or whatever, you know, just ask one, one question at a time and keep a journal of it. Um, how will you know if we're doing a good job? I love this, and this is actually something I ask um, right up front. And actually, I kind of, I almost push that answer out there. Here is how you will know if I am doing my job well.
2: Because are you, you telling will see. Are you asking them?
1: This is I'm, I'm i I kind of tell it like this is how you should evaluate me because this is how I'm. This is the metric that I'm using to do a good job for you. So I'm trying to beat this benchmark, and if I don't, I will. You know, broadcast this to you what the benchmark is and what I, and what my results were, um, and that's how you evaluate me. That's how you grade me. And if, do you confirm
2: that metric aligns with their ex- expectations?
1: I I tell them that this is this is the system that I've built, and you can certainly go somewhere else if you want a different system. Okay, but um, but this is what I do. This is how I'm kind of set up. I'm set up to beat. I'm set up to beat benchmarks in this fashion, and. That's sort of, you know, if you wanted to product me, that's my
0: product. How is that received, though? I'm curious.
1: It's good. No, they, they, they get it because I, I do it clearly. And I think this is one of the communications things is, and I don't want to talk about my business, but, um, you know, one of the things in, in investing is you don't really know. You know, you see the number go up. You see the number go down. You can extrapolate a percentage. But how am I doing overall? Like if I just bought a Vanguard 500 index fund for you know, thirty basis points of all my fees and never a transaction fee, would I be doing better or worse than giving you my money and having you invest something? Like I think that's an important question hmm. that people need to ask themselves and their their, you know, money manager. But I don't want to get into my money management stuff. But so I, I, I identify for them, here is how you know if I'm doing a good job. I kind of yeah. give it to them. And and they should. That's the proper way to do it.
2: Well, I like the question, but I like it more open ended to them. As in, you're basically saying, here's the, the round hole I have. Any peg out there, see if you can fit in it.
1: Yeah. I mean, and there are certainly people that don't care about benchmarks. And it's yeah. true. And they want a percentage up every year, which I can't, I don't know how to do it. I'm not that kind of investment guy. You know okay. they want they want twelve to fifteen percent on their money every year, gosh darn it, I just can't do it
0: well, i you know I might if it was me in that boat, I think probably what I would do is ask the question first I'm curious as to how you will view me to be successful for you in your life. Hear that response and then share with them. You know your benchmark, how you have yeah. established. Yeah, this.
2: that's not a bad approach.
1: That's you know yeah, what? The, yeah. It's the old customer needs analysis kind of thing. I like that. Well, no, but yeah, but funny. you know,
0: and I would just pull the word "old." I mean, to me, that's the bottom line. I w- I want to be clear. If I'm working for Ken, or I'm working for you, or whoever. You know, what is it that you, you know, view? What do you want? Are, what do you want? Yeah. And How is this relationship in your mind going to prove to be successful? Yeah. Okay. And now that I know what that is, well, let me share with you my version of success and see if mm-hmm. we can find synergy between that. That yeah. would be my recommendation.
2: And, you know, I look at the rest of these questions. Most of the rest of them have to deal with how you want to interact.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's some of them that's
1: kind of like what are your pet peeves? This is sort of just getting to know your client on a non-business level
2: so you yeah. can kind of um but I develop love I love questions 1, 2, and 3 though. Yep, me no, too. Very important. You know what I could easily see for any salesperson out there or anybody selling, whether it's the business owner or whomever, put these questions onto a little laminated card that goes into your little portfolio that you carry into every appointment. Yeah. And just stick it in the pocket and Look at it and maybe do a check mark mentally. Did I have I ever explored that with this client? It gives you an opportunity to really start to dig into stuff that are not project related or related to the specific thing that you're talking about at that point in time.
0: In more ways than one, at least in my mind, it's the fundamentals, and there is nothing that comes in the way of, you know, making sure that the fundamentals are always in place. Yeah. And I you're keep are always executing them at the very best. I
1: actually I keep a, a what I call the WD, which is the warm data data uh the warm database, mm. which is and you can do it on almost any uh, contact management system. Um so if you're using, you know, I I'm obviously an Apple fanboy, so I use all of their stuff. But when I go into um you know, whoever this is, I just picked up a, a Patrick um this guy patrick that that i know uh not only do i have his contact information and email and all that kind of stuff but you know i have his kids names i have his wife's name i have his date of birth i have you know major events that have happened in his life uh you know his 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 mother passed away uh a year ago so i have a little tickler in here that says one year from that day i'm going to send him a little handwritten note so but you can just you know in the notes section yeah. of all of these things. That's a great way to just just do it, and you can kind of just buzz through it and, and all that kind of jazz.
2: But that's it's good stuff, as Tommy said. Just stick to the basics and the fundamentals. You Absolutely. can't go wrong. Absolutely.
1: Well, you can go wrong, because I keep going wrong, but, but these two guys... <laughs> well, that's
2: because you have one size hole that you're looking for every peg to fit into it. Go on, go on, close on that one. (laughs) That's a heck of a way to sum this show up. (laughs) So rarely,
1: so rarely am I speechless.
2: Sorry about that, folks. Thank you all for joining us. one whole Parker. (laughs) Uh, We can't do the show without you, but
1: we might do the show without Ken next week. Let's get out of here quick. (laughs) Uh, But we can't also do it without our sponsors, Gateway Financial Partners, the accounting firm of Budwitz & Meyer, Jack Deepwater, Seafood of Avon, and centralctdental.com. Very special thanks to Evan Richards in the chat room. I don't know what you guys are talking about in the chat room. There's something about people are putting glue on certain body parts. I I don't know. You guys have got it check out the chat room because that's like the show within the show and evan runs that all that kind of fun stuff we're going to close up shop for this week but we will be back next tuesday at 5 p.m eastern when we will once again be open for business we'll see you cheers take care folks